Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your amazing love to us and that you do forever reign. Christ the Lord himself is the reigning king of the universe, and we are privileged to be your servants and to, to uh, love you and to serve you. So, Father, we thank you today that, that we can be here together, and we just ask now as we turn our attention to your word through the scriptures that you would um, open up our hearts to the riches that are found therein. Lord God, we pray today as we consider the the nature of the church, what the church does, and uh, the privilege that it is for us to be in relationship with you, I pray, oh God, that we might truly take in the full blessings of our salvation in fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and one another. I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. So have you given any consideration lately to um, how important community has been in shaping your life? I was thinking about that myself, and I know everybody's circumstance is quite different, but but I was reflecting on that particularly this week as I was preparing for the, uh, the next in our installment of our Identity Crisis series on what the church does. And today we're looking at connection and reach. And I was thinking about the connections in my life, community in my life. And um, as most of you know, I was raised in a Christian home. And with all of my grandparents' Christian um, all of my aunts and uncles Christians, all of my cousins, and then being raised from the very beginning in a church. I've been in three churches in my life, over the span of my life, and all of those communities that have shaped me, including this one. And I've realized that it's been all of the people in your life that make such a lasting impact for Christ. And again, I know that some have come from different backgrounds. Some of you have come up through a, a circumstance in your lives where you had no one around you who were believers, and, and you've been maybe the only one in your family. But as a little kid, I remember the, the encouragement from church people just encouraging you along, and you'd do a little um, recitation of the scripture at some sort of Christmas concert or something. And the people in the church would oogle over you and say, oh, that was so fantastic. You did such, such a great job. And all of those things that shape a person's life and encourage a person and give them confidence and, and, and security in the faith and, and the work that you do that you may not realize how important it is in shaping one another's lives. That's why the Word of God tells us not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Don't get in the habit of not being together to come and encourage one another to, to love and good works. It's so important. Community shapes us so profoundly. And I would say to you that we are in the most, um, uh, the most disruptive time in church history in several thousand years. And I don't believe I'm actually exaggerating because the biggest Interruption in the church is the very thing that shapes us most, and that's community. Open up your Bibles with me this morning, please, real quick, to Acts chapter 2. I'm sure you have become accustomed to us getting there. 
Acts chapter 2. And I want to look at um, a verse that's sort of been our launch verse for much of this series. Acts 2 and verse 42 in particular. We're living through the greatest disruption of church in several millennia. In fact, um, there might have been a little glitch in the Spanish flu a hundred years ago, but it was nothing like this. And uh, from the Encyclopedia of the Bible, editor Walter Elwin, he writes this, or he edits from a, a collection of people this, and this is the key verse or key statement today for our, our time together. The essence of the Christian life is fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers in Christ. Are you hearing that? That's not an over-exaggeration, by the way. We will find this in the scriptures. The essence of the Christian life is fellowship with God and fellowship with other believers in Christ. And neither function properly without the other. We are a fellowshipping people, profoundly connected to God and one another. It's the distinctive of Christianity and, and, and shapes everything in our lives. When you hear the word fellowship, most of us think, hey, that's food. We're going to have a time of fellowship. We talk about that. Oh, we're going to have a time of fellowship after church. Joel, that's food, isn't it? It's always been food. You go to the fellowship hall, you don't go down there. You go down there for food. That's what, that what fellowship hall is all about. That's not really what fellowship is about. We're going to discover that. In fact, I, I remember as a, a young man, my first deacon assignment they, they entrusted to me was the deacon of the social committee. The deacon of fellowship. And that, that was all they would trust me with. But, but uh, that's not really what fellowship is. And, and um, far, a far greater danger to us and our world today than the plague, the physical plague that's upon us, is the war on fellowship. The war on fellowship. Because that is flirting with our good and flirting with our joy. Right from the very beginning of the scriptures, Genesis 2.18, it is not good for what? Man to be alone. It is not good. That's the first time God ever talked about something that wasn't good. It is not good for man to be alone. And, and when Nehemiah was doing his reforms in... in uh, the book of Nehemiah, and, and the word of God was being proclaimed, and Ezra, the priest, was declaring the word of God. You can read about it in Nehemiah chapter 8. The people were brokenhearted because uh, as the word of God was being proclaimed to them, they were realizing how fall, far short they were falling of God's word, and they were, they were actually weeping. And Ezra said, stop weeping. The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And, and the, the point that he was making here is we're all gathered, and, and you can read it there, we're all gathered together in the presence of God. This is not a time for weeping. This is a time for joy. This is a time to, to strengthen yourselves in the joy of the Lord. Therefore, when we are not together, we are risking our joy. We are risking our joy. We are risking what is good, and we are risking our joy. So that brings me to Acts 2, 42. They devoted themselves, notice here, to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Let's stop there. We've, we've gone over this already. Um, is the apostles' teaching negotiable? This is interactive, folks. No. It is not negotiable. Is the breaking of bread, the ordinances, negotiable? No. Is prayer negotiable? Is fellowship negotiable? Well, I guess it is right now. It's not. It is not. They devoted themselves in the same way the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to the ordinances, to being together. They all devoted themselves to the fellowship. We're going to look at the meaning of this word, so we're convinced and convicted by God's word. All the believers were together, verse 44, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Fellowship with God is the goal and gift of the Christian life. Uh, let's flip way back to the back of the New Testament, get back to Revelation, the very last book, and then move a couple up, Jude, and then to 1 John. 1 John, we're gonna look here a little bit today too. The powerful words of, of this text perhaps have, you, you have to soak in it, you have to let this sink in. 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, we proclaim to you that, we have, that what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. This realization that you as a follower of Jesus Christ are in fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. Do you realize the, the reality and the nature of your life is in fellowship with Almighty God? You are in relationship. You are in communion. You are in community with the living God of the universe. Always. And um, it'll be eternally perfected when we see him face to face. In the meantime, we have this imperfect form where we gather together and look and gaze at the faces of one another who are in fellowship with God as well. 
And these are the faces that we will gaze at for all eternity. Praise the Lord. So get used to loving each other and liking each other now. Because we get to do it for a really long time. So listen, um, by quick review, the CBC Ministry Master Plan, Calvary Baptist Church Ministry Master Plan, we showed you last week, so we can orientate ourselves, is on the, should be on the screen right now. And we talked talk to you about the, it's built on the Great Commandment, the Great Commission, and we have five essentials, five core values, word, worship, growth, prayer, witness, which move us to three practical or key practices, worship, connect, and reach. Last week, we keyed on worship. Today, on the basis of the scriptures from Acts, we're going to key on connect and reach, fellowship, and the addition of people to the church. That's where we're going. That's where, so that orientates you. So today, the ministry of connect. What does the church do? The church is a fellowshipping church. That's what we do. That's who we are. Physically invested in what we spiritually are. We are in fellowship with God. And we are in fellowship with one another because of being in fellowship with God. That's a special bond that we have together. And regular communion, uh, communal worship is what the church is gathering together. Now, there are obstacles to this. And, and I want to quickly go over a few of them with you. Obstacles to this connection. Obstacles like individualism. The worship of me. Obstacles like mobility. We move around too much. We move around too much. We are to settle ourselves in community. And, and, and you, you need to be careful about disrupting things and just moving away from community. Mobility interferes with connectivity and you have to be very careful. Consumerism, what's in it for me? is a war against con connection, is a war against community. Privatism, stay out of my life, out of my face. That's not Christianity. We're in each other's life, we're in each other's face. Materialism, it's all, this life is all there is, so it really doesn't matter. That's an evolutionary worldview. That's not our worldview. That's not a Christian worldview. We are in fellowship with God and in fellowship with one another forever. Forever. This is not all there is. This is to be continued for eternity. And I think, um, you know, the, the number of things that are at, at war against, I would say, are, are the disease that's around us right now, digital, uh, digital addiction, the, the addiction to technology is a war to, connected, to connectivity, discrimination, racism, and dropouts. These things are crucial to the issue of community. And I just quickly want to point out to you that how this, how this scenario right now is being handled, this treating everyone as if they're sick and need to be kept away from you is a war against community, a war against fellowship. I don't know about you, but I haven't been sick for 365 days this year. But everybody's treated me as if I am. The whole digital world 
digital online church, if there's one thing that I've become conf- conf- uh, for, uh, you know, convinced of and is confirmed in my heart is that online church is a necessary compromise, but it is not. It is not the design of God going forward. Now, I know this wars against everything else because we're going to digital medical delivery. We're going to digital education. We're, going, we're already digital shopping. But you can't digital fellowship. You just can't. The Holy Spirit of God has agreed to move into us personally. has agreed to move into the circuit board of our computer. There's a book written by uh, a guy by the name of uh, Kim who writes a book called Analog Church, just new. He says this, we must make clear to our communities that digital is a necessary compromise for some and not a convenient option for all. I don't know if any of you noticed this week, but I I was so uh, cheering on the Scottish courts. It's a great day for a fight in Scotland. And we should expect that. It's Scotland after all. Judge Lord Braid ruled that criminalizing in-person gatherings of church will be no more in Scotland. Praise the Lord. That's a great victory internationally. I hope it comes to Canada. And he writes this in his, in his ruling. Listen, online, online might be an alternative to worship, but it is not worship. A, at very best, for the respondents... In modern parlance, it is worship light, signed Lord Braid, judge. And why is this so? Because koinonia, the word fellowship, and you heard this, probably one of the Greek words you all know. You know agape, you know koinonia. That's the koinonia hall down there. Is the gift God gives to the church of what has existed from eternity past in Trinity. This is, this is what salvation has brought to us. Koinonia is the gift God gives to the church of what already exists in the Trinity. Communion. A bond that unites. Participation. A, a sharing. Through Christ's death... And the gift of the Holy Spirit, God has enabled us to fellowship with the triune God and with each other. And you can't fellowship with God and also be out of fellowship with your brothers and sisters. And if you are in fellowship with God, you will be in fellowship with one another. If you happen to strategically keep your finger in 1 John, if not, go back to to there for a moment. I want to show you something very, very important. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. Him meaning Jesus. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. 
But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, listen, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we are walking in the light, if we are followers of Jesus Christ, if we are walking in fellowship with God, we have fellowship with one another. If you are out of fellowship with one another, the implication is you are not walking in the light because you can't walk in the light and be out of fellowship with your brothers and sisters. It doesn't happen. Look at chapter 2. Verse 9, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother is still in the darkness. Whoever loves his brother lives in the light and there is nothing in him to make him stumble. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. He does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded him. Which means you're not in, the, which means you're not in fellowship with God. God is light. In him is no darkness. If you're walking in the darkness, it's because you're not walking in Christ. And when you're walking in Christ, you're in fellowship with one another. Fellowship is, is crucial to, to who we are, to the to healthy Christian reality is to, to be in community with one another. In fact, Paul in 2 Corinthians 6.14 and through that text, he says, you know, open up your hearts wide to me. He was having a, a real problem with the Corinthians. He was having a fellowship problem with the Corinthian church. And, and he immediately went to this place. If you were to look there, we don't have time to look there, but he immediately went to this place. The reason that your hearts are closed to me is because you're hanging around with the darkness. He says, you know, what, what connection does light have with dark? What does Belial have with Christ? He talks about all of these juxtapositions that are, that are not in alignment with one another. He says, clearly you're not walking in the light because if you were walking in the light, your heart would be wide open to me because that's what the evidence is. What it means is, koinonia means not only a gift of God that exists in the Trinity, which is a fellowship of the Godhead that we get to fellowship in and fellowship with one another, but the word koinonia means sharers of something in common. We share something in common, profoundly something in common. Turn to Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. This verse has been used and misused and abused, and this section has been, and, and it's, it's, it's so liberating. It's such a powerful text. Consume it. Uh, look at everything. Take everything in, 26 to 29. The church is connected because we all share in common Christ. When we're talking about identity crisis, this is where we are, we are in trouble in our world. This is why our world can't get along. Our world is at war. Our world is not at peace. We have, we have racial tension in our world because because there is no embracing of this truth, embracing of what you get when you are a believer. The church is connected because we all share in Christ's identity and the blessings of our salvation. Our common identity and clothing in Christ covers over our external reality so that we are identified in Christ alone. We have a Christ costume on. It changes everything. 
Look at, look at the text. You, verse 26 of Galatians 3, you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ, when you came to know Christ, the Holy Spirit baptized you into Christ, which you picture in the baptismal tank, the exact thing that's happened to you by the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized into Christ. Now look at, and have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is, there, there is neither Jew nor Greek. These were absolute warring factions. When we talk about racial tension, and by the way, I just want to say at the front end, there is no, there, the, the idea, the concept of races is a, is a, a non-truth. There's one human race, that's it. There are ethnicities, but there are no races. But if you had two warring ethnicities, there's no comparison. Jews and, and, and Gentiles were at war. Now look at There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for all are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. And heirs according to the promises, we are in the same family as Christians. And as Christians, our identity is absolutely the same. It's in Christ. And we are covered by our Christ uniform so that we no longer look at each other from an external perspective, but we look at each other from truly who we are from Abraham's seed. I have more in common with a dark-skinned pastor in Maloka, Tanzania, a little village who loves the Lord, and a, and a Singaporean Asian man, and, and a, a, a Lebanese man in Beirut, and an Arab man in Nazareth, and a Turkish man in Istanbul, and an Indian man in Calcutta than I have with a white Irish guy who doesn't love Jesus. Do you understand that? The, the, church, the church is God's solution to ethnic tension. Our connectivity disp dispels, dispels racism. The, the current secular solutions to racism have no possibility whatsoever of succeeding. Critical theory and inter intersectionality have zero chance of, of changing racial tension. It's just a transfer to a new form of racial tension. It has no hope of bringing harmony to our world, no possibility of unification. Christ is the unifying solution to the human problem. He is the only solution. Community in Christ, fellowshipping with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and fellowshipping with one another in Christ, regardless of the flavor of your humanity. God didn't create just vanilla. I don't even want vanilla. God created all kinds of flavors. That we might live in harmony. There's a solution to racism. It's called Christianity. 
And the church, beloved, listen, and we're, we're, we're ethnically diverse. We have this glorious opportunity in this most fragmented time to demonstrate to the world the solution to racial tension and discrimination. And it's called fellowship in Christ with one another. Because in the scriptures, in Ephesians, verses 11, chapter 2, therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. Now listen to this. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. It is over, beloved. As believers, we are now able and blessed by salvation through the fellowship of the Spirit of God to be at one in harmony, in peace with one another and demonstrate to the world there is a solution to ethnic tension and it is Jesus and the community in Christ. Oh, beloved, we are to be one new man, fellow citizens in God's household and to demonstrate to the world what that looks like. To treat everyone in Christ. Christ is the reparation of the injustices uh, perpetrated on our ancestral, on ancestral heritages. We have all been wronged. And connectedness, of course, being together connected is required to grow and serve. That's where the one another's are accomplished and worked out in real time and space. There are, I think, about 31 one another's in the scriptures. You can't do one another's if there's an another. Can you? Personal and corporate health are dependent on vital body health, vital body life. Evangelism only occurs when we fellowship with one another and demonstrate to the world that there is peace and harmony and people can love one another regardless of their status in life, regardless of their gender, regardless of their ethnicity. Christianity Busts all of those artificial things that separate us. Is the only religion that does that. By the way, community is uh, the protection against dropouts. Remember we talked about the, the, the Ds, disease, digital, discrimination, and dropouts. I'm at dropouts now. Spiritual dropouts. A study done by a couple of brainiacs by the name of Stark and Fink. The University of California in Berkeley in 2000 made penetrating insights into the obvious. That's often what professors do. But the level of commitment, the level of the, the commitment level to ministry 
that you will have is also affected by the level of commitment to Jesus of the friends you hang around with. Wow. They got, they got some sort of scholarship for writing that paper. We all knew that. The likelihood of dropping out of Christianity is directly proportionate to the meaningful connectedness or lack thereof one has with other believers. You want to know why we are, the pastoral staff here are, are fixated on discipling communities? Of you being in small community collections? is because the likelihood of you dropping out of the faith, listen to me online, listen to me wherever you are, the likelihood of you dropping out of the faith is, is totally connected to whether or not you are in community. You might show up at a church because of the pastor, but you will only stay because of connectedness. And Christ, you know, he came, when we talk about connectedness is required to grow and to serve, it's Christ who's, who in Matthew 20, 28 says, I have come to serve, not to be served. That's what we do. That's what, that's what grows out of community. Community grows us into the likeness of Christ Jesus together, and then together it moves us to serve him. When you disconnect yourself from God's people, you have no heart to serve either. It, it's, that's where serve grows in your life. As, as you connect to one another. Pastors, in Ephesians 4.12, pastors are to equip the saints for what? Service. Surprise, surprise. And the point of growth through connectedness is that we might unconditionally do good to all people, especially to the household of God, Galatians 6.10. It's the salt and light effect that reflects well on our good God, Matthew 5.13-14. And the poor will always be on the sight lines of Christ's special attention. Matthew 25, 40. All of this fellowship, a fellowshipping health, uh, health, healthy community moves people towards service. There's an interesting statement that was found by an anonymous writer in the second century to a, a guy by the name of uh, Diognetus. And it's, it goes this way. With respect to Christians, okay, this is an observation of an unbeliever of Christians in the second century. They marry and have children, just like everyone else, but they do not kill unwanted babies. Interesting. 2,000 years ago. They offer a shared table, but not a shared bed. That was an outside observation of the unique values of Christians. So... What's your plan? What's your grow and serve plan, beloved? What is your personal grow and serve plan? Well, let me, let me offer a grow and serve plan to you in case you don't have one. It starts with knowing Christ as Lord and Savior and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that you get from that. And then you commit to membership connection to the local Christian family. You, we have a how to belong for that. And then you commit to a small band of committed believers who will keep your heart on fire. Watch over your life, because that's who we are, to share a common life in Christ together. We call those discipling communities. Get in one. Get in one. We have about half of our church, okay? Half. That means another half, another half of you 
need to get in one of these smaller communities and then find a place to serve one another. You were made, you were created and recreated to serve. I don't know if you've ever seen our, our Calvary Baptist Church Discipleship Pathway or not, but it's how we help people become all that Christ has made them to be, all that Christ has called them to be. This is posted in our lobby. It's also on our website. It's something you should be familiar with. We encourage everyone to understand that this is the way that we seek to intentionally, in, in an organized way, a structured way, move people toward a more, a, a more complete likeness in Christ. It starts with receiving Christ as your Savior and then being baptized and being part of the foundations of our faith class. We run that uh, twice a year. I, I teach the foundations of, of the faith class. You need to go through that. And then, and then we have these, you see these three practices, worship, connect, and reach. Worship means attending a worship service weekly. We're talking about a healthy discipleship plan in a person's life. How do you move in a healthy way toward being more like Christ? Because that's what he wants. That's what you want, presenting everyone complete in Christ. Making sure that you're joining the discipling community, connecting, how to, how to belong, getting into membership in church. And then sharing your faith with, with those who you know. That's what the reach component is. We have a spin-out enrichment uh, called uh, Build, where we're training people to lead and to learn uh, in more depth the things of God, and then to also focus more on, on, on your uh, training and equipping, and, and um, that's, that's under construction. We're still building this plan. But we encourage you to make sure you're on that pathway. That's how we help you connect and grow and then serve and benefit from all of the blessings of salvation that God has given to you because of the fellowship with God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and fellowship with one another. And then, and then with quickly, and I, I knew we wouldn't have a, a ton of time for this, but that, that's fine because in, in truth, the ministry of reach, it hinges on a healthy community. It hinges on healthy worship. We gotta start there to be a healthy worshiping church, a healthy fellowshipping church, and that will be a church that is an evangelizing church, a church that reaches. You know, you all know that we're, we're an embassy, an embassy of heaven that represents Christ in this world. We represent Christ and the kingdom of life. And our role and our responsibility as believers, particularly as believers individually, is to repatriate the lost into the church of Jesus Christ. For the most part, the work of evangelism is done outside of the gathering. For the most part. Because for the most part, everybody who gathers on Sunday, everybody pretty much in here knows the Lord as their, as their personal Lord and Savior. Now, there may be exceptions to that, and I, I, we always expect that there may be people here who don't know the Lord. That's why we make sure that we try to teach you what the gospel's all about. But for the most part, evangelism takes place place outside of the gathering, outside of the formal gathering of the church. It is the fruit of the healthy work of a healthy gathering. Healthy connection leads to healthy work and life outside of the church. Curiously, and maybe not so curiously, and it sort of is, is why I'm making this statement, is after the Great Commission... There is not much stated throughout the New Testament about commands to evangelize. You, you won't find statements that say you must share your faith as a command. You, you won't find statements in the scriptures that say be devoted and zealous for evangelizing. God was adding to the church because salvation is the work of God. 
Jesus did say this, though. He did say, you will be my witnesses in Judea, Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. You will testify by your life and by your authentic fellowship with God and with the church the incomparable value of salvation, the incomparable value of Christ. You will witness that. You will testify to that. As you are healthy, you will testify to that. Salvation is the work of God as believers live out Christ in them. I can't get anybody saved, and neither can you. You can't make anybody get saved. What you can do is be a witness and a, testi- a, a, a testifier to the great things of God so that people see in your life and hear in your speech and watch in your behavior and notice in your relationships that there's something very, very healthy about you. Something very, very compelling about you. Something very, very attractive about you. That's what reach is. The church gathers to become healthy and strengthened in the Lord and scatters to evangelize, to reach the lost. Because God has placed you in settings of ministry. You're all in a setting of ministry. Wherever you work, that's your ministry. Wherever the people who you know gather, whether in your neighborhood or in your family or at your workplace, that's your ministry. You come here to be strengthened and equipped for service. You leave here, you scatter from here to do ministry of evangelism as a witness to Jesus Christ. The people who are following my PowerPoint are like pulling their hair out right now because they have, I've just, I've just gone off script. Apologize. Although intentional plans to bear fruit, or evangelize, or, or to, although intentional plans to evangelize bear fruit, church historians note these two things. Evangelism almost never happens unless people are crazy, passionate in their love and devotion for Christ, one, and where lives are noticeably changed, two. So pay attention to that. Pay attention to that. If there are lost people in your world, okay? If there are lost people in your world, they will almost invariably not be reached unless you are crazy passionate about Jesus and unless they actually notice Jesus changing your life. And no matter how long you've been a Christian, I've been a Christian now for 55 years. The millennials are like shocked. You thought I was 35, didn't you? <laughs> For 55 years. And I have lots of places that Jesus has already changed. And by God's grace and through prayer and through my desire, he will yet change. And the people who are lost around your life need to see you crazy in love with Jesus and devoted to him 
and changing because of his work in your life. Those two things draw people to Jesus. Well, we've run out of time, but talk about seeker-sensitive and sensitive seekers. I personally believe that Jesus taught us in his scriptures. Jesus came to seek and to save that which is lost. I presume that he's calling us to seek as well. I just don't believe that we should expect lost people to seek Jesus because how can dead people seek anything? He said, go into the world and preach the gospel. They're not coming to us. They don't, they're not flocking into church on Sunday morning. Lost people don't get up on Sunday and say, what am I going to do today? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to church. Do you, have you ever, you know, occasionally God, by his incredible grace and mercy, I think Jim is one of, an example, I think, Pastor Jim, where God just like grabbed a hold of his heart and said, go to church. But that, that's, that's, that's unusual, and God can do whatever he wants. <laughs> and thank God that he does, because not enough, not enough of us are out there seeking lost people to bring them to church. God has to do it himself. He will. But we are to go. We are to go. So let me leave it at that for today. And I just ask you a few questions as we, as we complete, complete our time together. Is Christianity worth living for? These are questions for you. Is Christianity worth living for? Because a, a lost world wants to know. They need to see it in you. Is, is Christ worth dying for? <laughs> they need to see that. Is this community gathering, is fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, is this, does this matter? Is, is this just convenience? Isn't this, if, if they, they need to see this, they need to know this. Is this just, this thing you're doing with Jesus, this is what, just one of many other possibilities for you, you know, come see, come saw. Or is he really the way, the truth, and the life? Is the word of God really the right way to live or can you just take it or leave it? And what makes you different from a lost person? That's what reach is about. Passionate devotion to Christ and his body gathering together and being transformed by Jesus. So three final questions for you. Are you connected? Are you connected online? Are you connected to a community that watches over your life? Are you serving? Where are you serving? Where are you serving Christ? Are you a witness? Do the, peop- do the lost people in your world know you're a Christian? And in a good way. In a good way. In a healthy way, in an attractive way, in a compelling way. Do they know? That's called reach. That's called witness. That's what we're called to do. Father, thank you for your word instructs us, it challenges us, and thank you for the convicting work and powerful work of the Holy Spirit. To be in fellowship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit means that you are fully connected to our heart. So Lord, when we present the word of God today, 
It is the heart work that is being done by the living God. So today, Lord, I just pray that you would take your word and make it real in people's lives. Move people to respond in obedience. I pray, oh God, and may we truly be a witness through the fellowship of the Father, the Son, the Spirit of God, and a fellowship of the communion with one another and demonstrate to the world the one new man in Christ. The walls of hostility have been broken down. There is no barrier anymore. We are in the family of God, Abraham's seed. We are the same family. We wear the same clothes. We wear the clothes of Jesus. Jesus is our costume. Lord, I just pray today that the church of Jesus Christ will truly be a reflection of the nature and salvation power of Jesus Christ to our world. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.